I want you to turn, please, in your copy of the Scriptures today to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, please, to the Lord very, very clearly led me to this portion several days ago. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We want to read together what essentially is, and of course, anywhere we turn to in the Word of God, this could be said of, but particularly on this occasion, the words of God, the words of Christ, as he ministered and indeed as he taught. Anywhere you open your Bible, you will find it to be the Word of God. We do not have to go searching within our Bibles, within the Scriptures, to determine what indeed is inspired and what is not. Every jot, every tittle, right from the very word in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right to the very end, right to the word amen, in Revelation 22, is indeed inspired by him. But here we have the Lord Jesus Christ in the first person, as he ministers, as he walks, as he talks, And indeed, as he teaches here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. I love to hear the rustle of the pages of Scripture. But as that rustling has at least a little bit subsided, I trust you find the place. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We want to break in at that little paragraph mark at verse 11. Now, you'll notice if you have a copy of the Scriptures where you have the words of Christ in red, This entire section is given in that manner, apart from the first three words. And I love those first three words. And he said. Another reminder that what we're reading here is indeed the word of God. And he said, and we'll give the context in a little while, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me, now look at the sort of language that's employed here. Look at the demanding language that he's using. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them as living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there. And I want you to notice the individual words that the Spirit of God employs here. That the Son of God employs here. Look at the word wasted. He took his country into a, or took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he, that is the citizen, he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now just think of the setting that we have here. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, a Jew, ministering to not only Jews, but to the top, the pinnacle, the most religious of the Jews. And here he relates a story of someone who is sent into a field to feed swine. That's how abhorrent the story must have been. Verse 16, And when he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man give unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, 
How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I, and this is given in the original language, the Greek, in the emphatic manner, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, verse 18, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now notice these words carefully. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And I love this. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, not just a robe, the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Amen. We'll end the reading there at that verse, Mark 24, with the prayer and indeed with the assurance and the knowledge that the Lord himself not only will but has already blessed this, the reading of his own inspired word in our midst today. Let us stand, please, for a moment in prayer. We didn't let you stand for that last verse, but we'll let you stand now. Remember whose presence you're in. The Lord is here. He is the one with which we have to do today. May the Lord himself speak to every waiting heart in his house today. Father, we thank thee for thy goodness and mercy. We sung about it in the psalm. Thy goodness and mercy, thy goodness and mercy that sees us here in thy house today. And Lord, I pray that we might appreciate the benefits and the good things that we have, the freedom, the religious and the civil freedom that we have to come into this thy house and worship. Lord, I pray for thy blessing to fall upon us. Lord, I pray more than any voice of man, I pray that the voice of God might permeate and might divide and might drive into our hearts that which we need, and that is the word of God. Bless us and help us, touch us and speak to us. I pray, Lord, that we might not be just merely emotionally changed today every time we come into thy word. We pray for that. But, Lord, that it might be a lasting change. That we might be permanently and eternally changed as a result of contact with thy word today. Help us now to that end. Bless us. Take away every distraction, we pray. It is for thy own glory we do plead. And the people of God say it. Amen. You can take your seats again, please. You know the context of these very verses, in fact, this account that we've come to today, is that it was the Sabbath day. 
You'll read that in Luke chapter 14 and chapter 15. In fact, look at chapter 14. Now, we're reading primarily today from chapter 15. But look at chapter 14, the very first verse of that chapter. In fact, I love those words that is introduced with that little Hebrewism that I may have mentioned before. And it came to pass as he went into the house of the chief Pharisees to eat bread. Look at the words, underline them in your mind. On the Sabbath day that they watched him. It was the Sabbath day. The Lord Jesus Christ had just gone into one of the into the home, into the house, into the dwelling place of one of the top, one of the chief Pharisees in the area, one of the top religious leaders to eat bread. That first verse of Luke chapter 14 makes that clear. And in fact, the very last clause in that first verse tells us and informs us something that categorizes the Savior very often when we find him walking and moving about among the people. The people watched him like a hawk. See what it tells us there in chapter 14, verse 1, that they watched him. He really was in the spotlight that day. In fact, in the very first couple of verses of chapter 15, the chapter that we are in today, this thought is again reinforced to us. Look at verse 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners. Why? For to hear him. But then we read of a but in verse 2. In fact, you'll see it there is the word and. It's the word kai in the original, in the Greek. It's just as many times as it's translated and. It's also translated as but. We could read it either way, but or and. The Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. There was always those who were not only watching him like a hawk, but pointing the finger of condemnation against him and all that he would do. All that he would say. All that he would share a table with. All whose homes he would enter into. All that he would do. In fact, we're not exactly sure where this house was, where this home was. In all likelihood, it would have been in in, in Jerusalem, certainly in and around Jerusalem. We read certain clues to his movements in the previous chapters. Look at chapter 13, for example. Chapter 13 and the verse Mark 22. We read there about his movements. We read there about his travels. We read about how he went through, verse 22, through the cities and villages, teaching, journeying towards Jerusalem. We can say with some degree of certainty that that was the general direction that he was heading. Therefore, in the next verses after that, the next chapters, chapter 15 that we're in today, could have found him in Jerusalem. However, we cannot be certain that this was indeed where he was because of what we read in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. Look at that verse. He was strongly, very strongly advised for his own safety by those who cared for his welfare, advised to move on. Look at verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out and depart thence. And they give a reason for that. For Herod will kill thee. He was advised to move on. We can't be sure of where he was. 
But regardless of where he was, in these inspired verses of Holy Scripture, we read how the Son of God taught the people who literally hanged upon every single word that he would say. Look at chapter 25 of Luke 14. We read yet again, we read this, of course, on many occasions, how the people simply flocked to him to hear and to hang upon his every word. Verse 25 of Luke 14 tells us, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, He turned and he spoke and ministered and taught them. Chapter 14, the first four verses or so, tells us how he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees, how he healed a man that had that, at that time, that terrible, that incurable disease, the dropsy. In fact, in these portions of Scripture, we read about how the Lord Jesus Christ ate and how he socialized with the people, no matter who they were. He reached the lowest of the low in society. It is interesting to note, in fact, how the Lord Jesus Christ actively sought out those who were the lowest of the low. He didn't go for the high tables, the high places, those that were best respected of. Rather, he went to the places. In fact, we look at an example, a lovely example of that in the gospel tonight, but how he went to the lowest of the low. And he actively sought them out for himself. What about you tonight in the meeting? What about you, or not tonight, but what about you today? I haven't preached that long yet, don't worry. What about you today, even as you watch this online broadcast? Maybe you feel you're not even worthy to go to church. You know, if you think that, and if you hear those voices in your head, you're listening to the wrong voices. You're listening to the whispers and the hiss of the serpent that would do whatever he can to keep you from God's house. In Luke chapter 15 here, we read of how even more individuals were drawn to where the Savior was to hear him as he spoke. In fact, in this chapter, we have the Lord Jesus Christ teaching all those who crowded around him using the means, using the medium of parables. Parables are something that we are confronted with quite a bit. In Holy Scripture, quite a bit in the Gospels in particular. Yes, there are parables outside the Gospels, but today we're going to consider ourselves and concern ourselves with this parable that we've read about even today. Now, what is a parable? We'll teach the children. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, really, the word that's correct. But really the word parable comes from two words in the original language. The New Testament, as you know, was penned in ancient Greek or Kone Greek. And a lot of our English words come from that. Now, if you're trying to park a car, one of the ways that you'll try to park it, if you're doing your test and preparing for your test, not right, Bethany, is the word parallel parking. You'll see that word, at least in part here, in the word parable. It comes from two words. One of them is parallel. It means alongside, or you think of parallel lines, parallel bars. Parallel, it means alongside the curb, parallel parking. And it comes from another word, which means to throw. Really, to throw down two little stories together that have a meaning that is akin one to the other. 
is to throw something alongside. And in Luke, and in Luke chapter 15 here, we have three parables recorded for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 to 7, we have the parable of the lost sheep. In fact, they're all of a kin. They're all similar style parables. The lost sheep, verse 4 to 7. The lost coin in verse 4 to 10. But here we have a parable about the prodigal or the prodigal son as it's often referred to verse 11 through to verse 32 and that's what I want us to think about today I want us to think about the prodigal now I don't know why the Lord has brought me to this particular portion in fact forcibly brought me to this particular portion today let me ask the question is it for you Perhaps the Lord has this portion in mind and has steered and directed my thoughts over these past number of days for your sake, either in the meeting or out of it. The first thing that we're confronted with here is really verse 11, 12, 13, right down to verse 16, in fact. We're given a lot of thought, a lot of words, a lot of detail here about this particular parable, about this particular prodigal's rebellion. You see, there's rebellion in each and every one of our hearts. And sometimes we get it, or oftentimes we try to suppress it and push it down and, and keep it down, keep it out of sight. But this young man's rebellion kept coming up and up again, over and over again. Until it spilled over into his life. In fact, until it affected every single, on every single stage of his life. Where are you today? Have you allowed your rebellion to take hold of you? I want us to think about the opening few verses of this portion just now. Think particularly about the words, the thoughts, the words, and indeed the actions of this young man who is known quite simply as the prodigal. Although that particular phrase does not occur anywhere in Scripture, believe it or not, that's a phrase and a thing that we have put to it because it describes him so well. But look at those verses. Look at verse 12. Look at how he came unto his father. How he began to address his father in what really was, when we boil it down, when we analyze it, when we look at it in detail, and what was really an extremely rebellious, in fact, a very nasty manner. Look at verse 12. In fact, very sad that a son might come to his father in that way. Read there, a certain man and two sons, verse 11, verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. You see, he spoke to his father in a way that no son should ever speak to his father. He made certain demands of him that day. Give me. He was giving the orders. He was calling the shots. You see, he wanted to have what his father had. You know the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments? He was breaking so many of them here. He was coveting what another had. He was not showing any respect to his father, to his parents. Breaking the fifth as well. He wanted to have what he saw he had. In fact, he wanted to have what he would normally have given him after his day. In fact, to put it more bluntly than that, to put it in a more 
brutal way than that. He wanted to have what his father had after he would be dead. That's to put it most bluntly. What that man was saying to him in reality was that he wished him as dead so that he could have his greedy hands on what was coming to him. The custom of the day was that the eldest son in the family was to receive the double portion. We see that phrase quite a bit in Scripture. It was to receive, really, essentially, two-thirds of the family inheritance, two-thirds of the estate, and for the younger son to receive the remaining third of his inheritance. That would have been the custom of the day. But here we find, here we discover, played out in his words and indeed his actions, his foolish and indeed his rebellious nature. There's that word rebellion coming through again. Coming through there in his desires, his words, his actions. In fact, at the end of that 12th verse, we read that his father did indeed divide what he had to both of his sons. To both of his sons. That's interesting. Look at the end of verse 12. He divided unto them. The plural form is used there. He didn't just give it to the son that was asking. He gave it unto, unto them his living. But then we read that rebellion went further and further and further. It's like feeding a monster. His rebellion was been fed and indeed it wanted more. Verse 13, we read very shortly after that that this young man gathered up all that his father had given to him, all the possessions, all the money that had been handed to him on a platter, as it were, and he decided to head off to have a good old time. At least that's what he thought. You see, he had only eyes for his own sinful pleasure. He only could think of himself. Such as the state of sin. It causes us to look at ourselves. It causes us to want more and more and more. And never to be satisfied with more. To take and to want even more. This young man only thought of himself and his own gratification. You know, that is a lovely picture of the sinner. Doing what he or she wants in this sinful world. Only interested in number one, numero uno. Only interested in themselves and their own gratification. Only doing what they want to do. Chasing whatever sinful notion and desire that they want. That is the worldling's MO. Verse 13 continues on to tell us how he went into that far country. Far from the influence, as he sought, of his loving father, of his tender, compassionate father. And we see something of that later in the portion. Far from the influence of those who cared for him, from those who loved him, those who knew him. And he went for a good time. That good time that so many seek today. You know, in this generation that we live in today, what we see painted here in the words of the Savior as he taught the people that hanged upon him for every word, as he taught the people these truths, we're living in a world today where we're actively encouraged to do that very thing. The teaching and the doctrine of today's society is that you're to go and do whatever you want to do. 
You only live once. Live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's exactly what this fellow did. He was actively, or we are actively encouraged today to do what we like, to do what feels good. Not to worry about anybody else. I just wonder how many are doing that very thing today. Maybe today finds you all dressed up, sitting in God's house on the Lord's day. But for the rest of the week, you live for yourself. You're just, you see yourself even in your rebellion as this young man was. Let me ask you, what does it take to make you stop and to consider what goes beyond this life? I talked earlier about how lovely it is to be in and around the hills of Dermar and all the rest of it. But I've got a vision a vision beyond that, a vision given by the Lord and given through this book of something much farther beyond that, of that celestial land. Do you have a vision that goes beyond the end of your nose today? Do you have a vision that goes beyond your rebellion today? Do you realize that there is, after this life, there is a great eternity of which we must prepare? The prophet Amos was so burdened that he penned these words, these words that are that adorn so many of the walls in our church buildings. Prepare to meet thy God. Does that grab you? As it does so many of us in the meeting today. We've just come through a time of shutdown, a time of restrictions, a time when society has had to just stop. And you know, at the very start of that time, many of us thought that perhaps the Lord will use this to cause many to stop and to think about their latter end, to stop and to think about eternity. And whenever the churches, remember the churches had the clothes, do you remember that? And whenever the churches do open up again, people will flock in. People who have never been to church before, didn't really bother about it, will flock in. But you know what's happened? The exact opposite has happened when people who never would have missed before lockdown, just got used to doing what this young man wanted to do, and that was live for himself and not even bother coming back again to God's house. Perhaps you've been brought up from your mother's knee, knowing and been taught the things of God from a child. Perhaps you've been sent along, maybe even to the Sabbath school and to the junior works of the church here in Hillsborough. But today finds you heedless and careless without a thought for the things of eternity, for the things of God. Perhaps today finds you living in your state of rebellion as this young man was. Allow me to challenge you today. Allow the Lord himself to challenge you through his word would you not come back to his loving, tender embrace? Look at verse 13 again. In fact, look at the last part of it. We read there about how not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into his far country. But look at the last part. So cold, these words. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. That word wasted, I stopped when I got to that in the studying of this portion. What sad words we have there. There he was, he had taken perhaps a third of his father's estate. He had went with so much and he wasted it away. He, he came away with absolutely nothing, nothing to show for it. That's what that word really means. 
It was wasted. It was lost. He didn't have anything to show for it all at all. He went for a good time. And I have no doubt that he had a very good time. He had riotous living. There's just a couple of words given to it there at the end of verse 13. Riotous living. No doubt within, encapsulated within those two words. He had pleasure. He had fun. He had that fleeting joy. But it was that, let me highlight that word, fleeting. It was but for a season. It was fleeting joy. Yes, the world does bring joy. The world does bring happiness. But it is short-lived and it is bittersweet. It comes with a sting. And it was all so soon that he found that out. He was going for the time of his life. No doubt he had it for a brief time, for a brief period. No doubt he did enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but it was for a season. What about you today? Perhaps you've tried the pleasures of this world. But perhaps you found them only to be, as this young man found them to be, like a trap that sucked him deeper and deeper, like sinking sand, like those old... I thought about it as I was thinking about this portion and about bringing it today. I thought about one of those wee simple woven... Maybe you can imagine what I'm painting here, the picture. The wee woven Chinese finger traps. You put your finger into it a little bit and you go to take it out and it grabs your finger and tightens it. And you push it on in to hope with the hope of being able to pull it out and it, it gets tighter and tighter and draws you in deeper and deeper. And that is a picture of what this man found sin to be. What this young man found the pleasures of sin to be. But for a season that drew him deeper and deeper and deeper. Sin is but a trap. This rebellious life that he was living was but a trap that drew him deeper and deeper into darkness, into degradation, into sin that he struggled, couldn't get out of it. But let me tell you folks today, this is where the gospel comes in. The Lord and only the Lord, I thank God for what he reveals to us of his son in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the Lord and only him has the power to break to cancel sin. Many of us today have been freed from the power of sin. Many of us today have had our sins forgiven. Oh yes, there's things that we'll still do that we shouldn't do. But we're not under the power of it as we once were before we come in under the precious blood of the Lamb. Only Christ today. If you're still in that trap, in that rebellion, in that place that this young man found himself to be let me tell you today that only christ can set you free i love the words of john chapter 8 verse 36 if the son that is speaking of christ if the son therefore shall make you free ye shall be free indeed this young man we're told by the savior here look at verse 14 we're told by the savior here in this parable how he had spent all those three cold words, little words, easy for us to understand, but do we realize the implication of it? Because sin will always cost us more than we have ever intended to stay or ever intended to pay. He spent all. It'll always, sin will always take us further than we want to go. It'll always cost us more than we are willing to spend. You know, we can always dress ourselves up and put on a facade. Put a smile on when we don't feel like it. Wear a mask. We've been wearing masks for years. 
and we can fool others, but we can never fool our Heavenly Father. Maybe today finds a backslider in the meeting. Maybe today finds someone who is miserable in their sin watching online. This prodigal found himself destitute, empty, friendless, forsaken, hungry. Before his life had properly begun, he thought it was going to end. He was at rock bottom spiritually, mentally, physically. Every way he was at rock bottom. And then we read there of how in verse 14, how he began to be in want. He did things that in normal circumstances he would have never done. In fact, verse 16 tells us of how no man gave unto him. He was without any hope. I wonder what about you in the meeting today? Do you see many parallels? There's that word again, parallel. Do you see many parallels between this young man and you today? I don't know why the Lord challenged me about bringing this particular message today. But I believe it's for a reason because I also believe, as we do, that God does every single thing that he does do for a reason. Are you not challenged today? Is the Lord speaking to you today? Let me ask you today, what does it take to cause you to stop in your tracks? This man was living in rebellion, but there was a point, there came a stage in his life where he was forced. Very often the Lord forces us. He was forced to stop. Look at verse 17 through to verse 21. Yes, we've read about his rebellion, but look at his repentance here. The Lord brought him to a point when he had to stop. Look at verse 17 of that passage in particular. It's introduced with the words, and, and again, we've thought about that, and how it can be considered as but or and, but when he came to himself, we could put it another way. Whenever he really stopped to think about it and consider where he was. In fact, we could put it another way again. When he stopped for a moment and thought about his situation. What does the Lord tell us to do? My motto verse. If anybody's got my business card, it'll be on the verse. It'll be on the card. My motto verse in life, because I think everything is getting so, so busy. I have to continually check myself. Because I'm the sort of boy, if I if five minutes today, I want to do something in it. I feel nearly like I'm wasting my time if I don't. But that's not always right. I'm wrong in that. Because the Lord says in my motto verse, and I often keep this verse in front of me because I have to be constantly reminded of it. And it's found there in Psalm 46 verse 10 where God says, be still and know that I am God. That's God's message. In fact, that's eventually where this man brought himself to, where he stopped himself where the Lord stopped him. What about you today? What has the Lord threw into your path? What has the Lord allowed to happen in your life? We must be careful how we pray, you know. Very often we're very quick to pray, Lord, clear the path for this individual or that individual or take that thing away or that issue away. Perhaps the Lord has allowed things to happen in your life and in mine to cause me to stop and to consider where I am. We were at a youth meeting on Friday night. Took some of the young people down to the prayer meeting in Hillsborough and the minister there, the Reverend Roger Higginson, brought a message speaking very simply about the ass that the Lord rode on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. 
on one of the points, he had many points, but one of the final points, in fact, I think it maybe was the final point, was how that young colt was tied at a crossroads. Maybe you're at a crossroads today. This young man was at a crossroads. This young man was forced to stop and to consider. The Lord would have us to do that even today. I believe that's one of the things about coming to God's house, that we might stop and think about what the Lord is saying to us. Is the Lord speaking to you today? Why the Lord tells us to be still and know that I am God, the devil wants to keep us busy. 24-hour television, 24-hour radio, 24-hour internet, 24-hour interaction, never stopping, never ceasing, never allowing us just to stop and to be still and know that I am God. This young man stopped because he was forced to stop. He was caused to think in his mind's eye about what he had, the privileges that he had, the, the pleasure that he had in his father's house. And he came up with a plan. He came up with a plan. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself, now he had come through a lot to get to that point. But when he came to himself or came to himself, he said how many hired he began to talk to himself. Isn't that interesting? He began to reason with himself. He began to go over it in his head, over and over and over and in his head. He reasoned within himself, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. And I told you in the reading how that is given in the emphatic language. And then this is his plan. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he stopped and he got up from where he was. He was eating the pig's food. Imagine that. It was really the pods of the carob tree that he was eating here. Not very much by way of nutritional value. Just enough to sustain life and no more. And he got up from that position and he began to track back to where he knew he would be taken care of. You know, ladies and gentlemen, and young people, especially in this meeting today, I believe it, we believe it, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but on the other side of that coin, we believe in human responsibility as well. And I believe here, in this parable, in this passage of Scripture, we have a lovely balance here on how the onus was on him to get up and to go back to his father's house. What about you today? Is the Lord ministering to someone in this gathering or online today as a result of this word going out? Is the Lord speaking to you, dear backslider today? Would you not come back to the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Just as we find the Father standing with his arms open wide, that is how we find our Heavenly Father today. He is willing to receive you back to himself. That's what we read here. Thirdly, his reception. Look at verse 20 through to verse 24. I want you just to notice how graciously this young man, even though he had hurt his father, caused great hurt in that family, I'm sure. But look at how graciously he was received. You know, I was moved. I think it was two weeks ago when the Reverend Kenny 
give that illustration toward the end of the message about that Scottish sheep farmer. I thought about it as I drove my bus. Powerful story about how he cried and his daughter came running. About how, even in this portion, how the father stood. Look at verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet, look at the terminology here, because it shows here. It strongly implies here that his father had been watching out for him. Hoping and longing and watching for his return. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, there he was. He had been planning what he would say, going over it and over it in his head, over and over again, what he would say. He had been planning this language that he would come out with. And whenever he reached his father, his father interrupted him. Do you see that in the portion? His father interrupted him here. He said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. And he would have continued on. That's in verse 21. We read of what he actually said. But he had practiced much, much more than that. Oh, he wanted to be made as one of his hired servants, but his father stopped him in his tracks, and he threw his arms around him. You know, there's always the fear of the unknown. There's always the fear about how will I be received. The Lord will not want me back to himself again. The Lord, I've done it this time. Would you not come back to the Savior today? If you're a backslider, if you're cold at heart, if you're not where you ought to be, if you've lost that first love, would you not simply flee back to your fathers, the fathers, our heavenly fathers, Tender embrace. I know, I know that the Lord is speaking to someone today. We cannot come. This is what the gospel is about. The gospel is all of grace. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's not because of anything that I deserve or anything that I drum up. It's unmerited favor. In fact, we can break it down into the uh, grace stands for great riches at Christ's expense. I point you to the cross work of Christ today. I point you to the finished work of the cross. I point you to that final phrase, that final cry that Christ cried on my behalf. It is finished. You know, he became sin. Literally, the sinless one. From all eternity, the only sinless one. Literally became sin for me. And he wills and wants you to come back to himself again. I believe there's many verses in Scripture to prove or back this up. We don't have time to go into them today. But I believe that the Lord is married to the backslider. And yet the evil one whispers in your ear, Oh, you can't do it now. You've done it now. You can't go back to him now. Maybe if you'd went at that juncture or that stage, but you've done it now. Would you not come back to him right now? Make this a red-letter day in your experience. Our prayer is that the Lord might call some individual or individuals. We don't want to limit him today. He is the all-powerful God and he knows what he's doing. And if he's speaking to you now, don't shake it or shirk it off. Don't leave those double sets, in fact, quad sets of double doors. And walk out into the car park and shake off what you know. Has been a message to your heart and your soul today.